and, uh, and then Christmas Eve is on a Sunday, so we're figuring out what to do. We're so blessed that Lisa would come. One service, 1030, we're just going to do a Christmas concert. Wouldn't that be fun? Amen. So that's going to be a great time on Christmas morning. This morning, we're kicking off something different. And uh, I'm just curious. I don't mean this in the wrong way. But if you came from some type of your family or somebody you were related to, come from a liturgical background in any way, whether through Catholic Church, Lutheran Church, Presbyterian Church, uh, Episcopal. We have an Anglican church that we're, that is, we're pioneering here, meeting on Saturdays here and that. And so there's a part in liturgical history that has to do with Advent. And this is the Advent season. And many times what we do is that, in fact, years ago when we were down in Cameron Park, we started our church, we shared our facility, our first building we have, we shared it with Light of the Hills Lutheran Church. And uh, Wade Myers was a pastor back then, and Wade and I are great friends. And he'd come in, and he'd see our bulletin and our announcement. He goes, oh, Don, you guys have liturgy too. So liturgy is just order, it's structure of a service in that. But we come from that. But many times what happens, we feel like, you know what, I've been delivered from a bondage, from religion. I'm not about being religious, but sometimes what we do, when we get free, we throw away tradition. And we throw away with our tradition, we throw away some foundation. And so what we want is we want the truth. We don't want to throw everything away. Amen. We, we just want the word. Praise the Lord. And so there's something in there. So the word Advent is just this. And I put it on the cover of your outline. If you look right in the title part there is what Advent is. And it just means the word Advent comes from a Latin word meaning Adventus, meaning arrival or coming, particularly of something having great importance. How many know Jesus coming into the earth, the Savior of the world coming, was an event of great importance? And so what Advent is about, it's five Sundays leading up to Christmas and leading up to the remembrance of the birth of the Savior and of this preparation. And this Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. So we thought this year we'd do something different. We have never done this before in our church, but we thought we'd do this and just look at uh, going back to the foundation of our roots of what it means to prepare. And I'm going to cover why this is so important through this message this morning. And so what we're going to have each week, we're going to have five scripture readings, and we have different uh, members of the congregation coming, and then we're lighting one of the candles. But this week's candle, the first candle, is the candle of prophecy. And, that, and it represents prophecy, and it's also the candle of hope. How many know Jesus is the hope of the world? Amen. And so it's a pro come on, hope is on the way. And that was the expectations. We looked through the scriptures this morning and prophetically about the coming of Christ. That's what this is all about. And so it also means to remember. And I thought it was awesome that the word of the Lord this morning, that prophetic word that came forth, just encouraged us to remember that Jesus is our Savior. Come on, He died for us. We're no longer under condemnation. He died that all men might be saved. Amen. And so this morning, I want to encourage you and uh, just to make this, th this time as a preparation. How many know the world has learned how to market Jesus? Uh, they started out. And, and so we decided instead of having Black Friday, we'd have Light Sunday. 
Amen. We're just going to light a candle this morning, and we're going to begin. And there's some significance to each one of these as it gets around. The first candle, as I said, is the candle of light. The second candle is the Bethlehem candle, the candle of preparation. The third candle is the candle of joy. It represents the Lord, the, the angel speaking to the, to the angels. It said, peace on earth, joy to the world, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. The fourth candle is the candle of love. And the fifth candle in the middle is the candle of Christ. This means all this means that we're supposed to keep our life centered and focused around the Lord. Amen. So it's just a great illustration of what this season is about. So I'm going to have Rudy and Valdry going to come and they're going to lead the scripture for this morning and the prayer and, and the, uh, the explanation of that as we move forward. Praise the Lord. So awesome. Hallelujah. I love you guys. So awesome. Good morning. Okay, the reading is from Isaiah chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And though on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The seal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This morning, we light the first Advent candle. The light of the flame symbolizes the illumination of Jesus, the Messiah, in our lives. The disciple John tells us, Jesus Christ is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. This Christmas season, let the light of Jesus, the Messiah, shine out of darkness. Let his light shine in our hearts so that we may have the knowledge of the glory of God. Okay, let's pray. Gracious Lord, may your mighty blessings be upon all of us this Christmas season. We turn to you, Lord. Take the veil away so we can see you and know you because knowing you is eternal life. May your light shine upon our lives, removing the darkness ab about us. May the joyful good news of Jesus and his coming change our lives and give us hope for when he comes again in power. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. I love you. Amen. Bless you, Bobby. Amen. Love you guys. Hallelujah. Well, look at your outline, if you would, with me. Hallelujah. Father, this morning, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for the coming of our Savior. We thank you, Father. You loved us so much. You gave your only Son that whoever would believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. You gave of yourself to us that he would come, bear our sins, take them to the cross, conquer death, hell, and the grave, rise victoriously, 
and give that resurrection life to us. And so today we thank you. And Lord, it's our hope, our desire, and our press to remember and never forget all that you have done for us. And we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. And somebody said? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, in giving this to you and trying to explain where we're going and looking at this and studying in preparation for this, I began looking and thinking about in the time of His coming and what happened. And it's interesting. We're going to walk through this a little bit. But when it comes to the birth, the life, and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll find that there are over 353 scriptures in the Old Testament that spoke about the Lord Jesus Christ, that referenced His coming. And so if you look at the cover of your outline there, right underneath this, a reason to rejoice in this season, Luke 24 and 27, this is Jesus. And it says, at the beginning and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now imagine Jesus being there and people, he's, he's in the temple, he's in Jerusalem at this time and just before his crucifixion. And he's going back all the way to the Pentateuch, to the writings of Moses and bringing them all the way through the first five books of the law and in everything in there, he's explaining how they speak of him. And he's not doing that in an arrogant way. He's not looking, these all talk about me. That isn't it. He just illustrated, this is what it says and this is what it says. And literally he's seen everything is being fulfilled in his life and he's showing them how he has fulfilled the prophecy. He's trying to get them to see that he really is their Messiah. Amen. But many times what happens, sometimes we get so locked in our tradition that it's even hard for us to hear the truth. So here's people that were just hard for them to hear and to believe that. And not only was he saying that, but he was also confirming the word with signs following. Jesus said, if you can't believe the words, at least believe the works. Amen. And they would look at things and people would even say, hey, if he wasn't from God, could he do these things? And so here's all this evidence about who he is. Yes, it was so hard for people to receive him when there was all this pre-advanced knowledge or foregiven knowledge of who he was, when he would come, not exactly when he would come, but what would happen around his birth and how he could be recognized. And then Peter, when he's at Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10 and verse 43, it's there in your outline, Peter giving explanation, it says, to him, speaking of Jesus, give all the prophets witness. Or Peter says, when you read the prophets and, and everything foretelling about them, they're all speaking of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen? And so, like I said, these events associated with the birth Life and ministry, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ fulfilled over 353 Old Testament prophecies. Given centuries before the events they describe transpired. Luke 2 and verse 20, it says this, Then the shepherds returned glorifying God and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. And what was being declared to them is unto you this day in the city of Bethlehem is born a Savior. And that was a prophecy that had been fulfilled in their ears and before their eyes. Think about it. Christians around the world choose to celebrate the birth of Jesus during this time of year. Some on December 24th, some on the 25th, other on January 7th. It's all mixed up. I bet. Just pick a day. Pick a day, any day. Just remember. That's what we do. People get hung up on the day. It's not about the day. It's about what we're remembering. 
It's about remembering the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it's about other things. How many know it's not about the gift? It's about giving. God so loved the world that He gave. And we've commercialized done everything else. But it's not about you giving gifts. It's about you learning how to express love through giving. That's what God did. God expressed His love through giving His Son to us. And what moves upon us, that the, even the world has found out, this is the most giving time of the year. There is an anointing on Christmas. It's crazy. But if you go back and check the date, you can't take scriptural history and come up with December 25th. It's a religious date that was set by down through the years of men coming up with ideas that we established on Christmas. Actually, it stands for Christ's Mass, the Mass in remembrance of the birth of Christ and all that stuff. It doesn't matter where it came from. It's important that we remember. Praise the Lord. Have it on July 13th. I could care less. Who cares what day it's on as long as we remember that the Savior has come. But if you trace Jewish history and you go back in the genealogies, you can find that Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, was actually, you can find his time of service in the temple. And and then you can move that forward that Mary, uh, Elizabeth, was about six months pregnant when Mary went to visit her. And Mary would just begin to be pregnant. So the birth of Jesus, when you follow that all the way through, you find out, oh, wait a minute minute, then Jesus was born somewhere between September and October, closer to the time of the Feast of Tabernacles than to the end of the year. How many know what I'm saying? So with that, so if we get it right, but so many people would be so upset, I'm going to say something in a minute that'll mess up everybody, but that's all right. And uh, because once we believe something is true, it's really hard for us to move. Amen. So how many know we, we could really mess things up if we move Christmas to somewhere around September 24th? How you been? That just messed everything up. Well, if we had it then, then afterwards in Thanksgiving, we really have something to be thankful for, but that'd be all right. <laughs> so whenever a Christian decides to celebrate or if he elects not to celebrate his birth, we can all rejoice in the fact that by putting on humanity, the Son of God became one of us to deal with our sins by dying in our place before conquering death when he rose from the dead. Look inside your outline. So what is prophecy? Prophecy is history in advance. That's what prophetic, it means to to proclaim, to foretell, to tell in advance what is going to happen. Prophecy is history in advance. It also means that his advent was foretold, his coming, the significant coming of the Messiah, this important prominent event was going to take place and it was foretold in such a way that the people under whom he was coming would be looking for him and expecting him and living prepared. Amen. Part of what the first candle is about also deals with, it it is also the the prophetic candle, but it also has to do with prayer and fasting and repentance. That we prepare ourselves to meet the Lord. Amen? And so the Gospel of Matthew gives us another reason to be thankful. The events associated with the birth of Jesus fulfilled numerous Old Testament prophecies given centuries before the events they described. Matthew 1.22 introduces a common statement in Matthew's work. He wrote, so all this was done, say this with me, that it might be fulfilled. 
That's the theme. When you read the book of Matthew, that is the theme of the book of Matthew. How many know Jesus came to John to be baptized by John in the River Jordan? Jesus stops him. I mean, John stops him and says, no, I need to be baptized of you. Jesus responds to John and says, no, suffer it to be so at this point that all things might be fulfilled. Or in other words, Jesus was very specific in that everything he did was in agreement with what had been spoken about him so that it was evidence that he was fulfilling what had been declared would happen in the life of the Messiah and so which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet so first of all since he used this phrasing in at least 12 in at least a dozen passages Matthew knew it was important to point out to his readers that many of the events he described fulfilled specific prophecies so we'll take a look at a few of those ancient proclamations before explaining why these give us a cause to celebrate first the use of the fulfillment phrase mentioned above introduces one of the best known prophecies in the Bible Matthew 1 23, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Amen. And part of that in Advent, too, is that we are still celebrating God with us. How many are thankful that he's with us by the Holy Spirit? Amen. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm sending you the promise of the Father. The Holy Spirit is going to be with you. He's going to be in you, and he shall be upon you. Praise the Lord. So God is with us today. Amen. And if you could understand that, he is even with us in a greater measure, in a more tangible and real manner than he was with Christ in the earth. Jesus could be in one place at one time, but the Holy Ghost can be in every believer and God's presence can be with you no matter where you go. You always carry his presence with you. Amen. And so we remember that as well. Praise the Lord. So think about it. In the reference to the birth of Jesus, Matthew cited a specific prophecy from Isaiah made more than 700 years earlier. That's what that reference was for in Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, when I think about that, prophecies being fulfilled from a long time's past. In 2013, I was in Washington, D.C. at a Christians United for, for Israel uh, uh, banquet there. And at dinner, a gentleman named Daniel from Samaria came and sat down next to me. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Jeremiah chapter 31 real quick. And I'll just let you see it and read it. I have two accounts here. And so while I'm having dinner, Daniel sits there and he's not supposed to be sitting there. He's supposed to be over in another section eating with the kosher people from Israel and stuff. They have a special place prepared for them and that. They come to get him and they go, oh, Mr. Daniel, you're supposed to be over there. And it was so awesome. He just looked at the servant and goes, no, I'm where I belong. I said, yes. And we're just in this conversation. He's sharing things with me. And so he's telling me about them establishing the settlements in Samaria. And he's going through this whole explanation. And he goes, as we begin to make our settlements there, we begin to look up on the hills of Samaria and what type of crops to plant, whatever. He said, and then our rabbi went to Jeremiah chapter 31. And in verse 5 it says, you shall plant the vines on the mountains of Samaria. The planter shall plant and eat them as ordinary fruit. And so we went out and began to plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. I said, let me just stop you right there. You have a rabbi who went back to a 2,600-year-old prophecy, and you said, hey, God is fulfilling that today, and God caused a 2,600-year-old word to come to pass, and you're living in that right now. He goes, yep. I said, yes. 
Because what that means, that if God will confirm a word that's 2,600 years old, He'll confirm everything that He's ever spoken into your heart. And so I said, well, how could you do that? And he said, Daniel just looked at me, and he kind of raised up. He says, we are a people of faith. Which means that we believe God is going to bring His Word to pass. Are you listening to me? What if you and I remembered, went back and remembered everything that God has spoken and just determined in our heart through this Advent season? Hey, I'm going to remember God has spoken His Word and His Word is true and His Word will come to pass because I am a person of faith. Amen. It would be powerful in our life. And then in February 2014, I got to go to Israel. And while I'm there in Israel, another amazing thing happened. Our guide, we're in the old city of Jerusalem there. And we're standing in the city square. And he turns us. There's 34 pastors with this one Hebrew brother. And he's standing there. And our guide goes, somebody has a Bible open to Zechariah chapter 8. So we open the Bible up and we start reading. It says, begin reading in verse 1. And it says, again, the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, I'm zealous for Zion with great zeal, with great fervor I am zealous for her. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with his staff in his hand because of his great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. And as we're sitting there, he goes, look, look, look around you. It is happening today. I go, God, you are awesome. So what I'm saying is, is that the word of God is true. And it's coming to pass in Jerusalem, and it will come to pass in your life. It came to pass concerning our Messiah, and we're celebrating, preparing to celebrate His birth and remembering His birth, and it will come to pass in every area of your life. Just as foretold, the Virgin Mary indeed, indeed did conceive and bear a son who is called Emmanuel. This amazing event demonstrates God's infinite knowledge and power. He is capable of foretelling the future with perfect precision. Decision. And he has the power to bring his prophecies to pass, even if that means a virgin would need to conceive and bear a son. You know what happens to us is that, is that we go, I don't understand how that works. Join the club. I just, I don't understand. I just believe it does. Amen. That's why, that's why the book of Job is so good. God, God says, hey, I hung the stars in the sky. How did they stay up there? I don't know. Well, if you can't explain that, you won't be able to explain anything. Amen. God, God, God goes, I love that when God goes, Job, and they're all having all this conversation. Chapter 38 in the book of Job. God says, hey, Job, stand up and gird yourself like a man. I'm going to ask you a question. And then he asks him three chapters worth of questions. <laughs> Amen. God can be long-winded. I'm trying to be short-winded this morning. So watch this. So he does that, and then he's able to do bring his word to pass with perfect precision. Secondly, after Christ's birth, the Magi arrive, or the astronomers, or kings, or magicians, whatever people want to call them, but they're called the Magi, which actually were just astrologers and great men from the east, but they arrive from the east in Jerusalem. And the star appeared at his birth. Are you with me? Star Jesus appeared at his birth. How many know they didn't fly on southwest? How many know it wasn't an overnight journey from the east to Jerusalem? 
from where they came from. And let me just put you like this. Nowhere in the Bible does it say three. But we think because we've sang the song our whole life. We three men of Orient, Orient far carrying gifts. So we, oh yeah, that's biblical. No, it's not. It does not say three. There's more than likely 300. In fact, there were so many that when they came into Jerusalem, it got the king's attention and they were taken before Herod to give an explanation. And then when Herod began to inquire about them, why they were there, we've come to see the king. We saw a star in the east and we've been traveling. And when Herod made his proclamation to kill the children in Bethlehem, he said, kill all the children from two years old and under. And then when, the, when, the, when they arrive at where Jesus is, it says they enter the house where the child was, not the stable where the babe was. But because we've been seeing nativity scenes all of our lives with the three guys there and the camels at the thing, you can keep your wise men, just go build a little house and put them off to the side in a little arrow that says two years later. <laughs> and you'd be all right. Amen. It's good. They showed up. They were there. They brought their stuff. Just move them to another place. Put them in front of a house. Amen. Get a little Jesus that's standing up, not laying in the hay. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You'd be, they need to be biblical. Praise no, they were there. No, they weren't. Where does it say they were there? Okay, moving right along. But see, what happens is we get that in tradition, and then we won't change. We'll fight to keep our wise men in our nativity scene, and it isn't even in the Bible. I wonder what other foolishness we're holding on to, keeping us from the truth of God's Word. But look what it says. But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod's murderous response of slaughtering the young boys of Bethlehem led to the fulfillment of three more prophecies. First, this tragic massacre fulfilled the words of Jeremiah in 31 verse 15. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentations weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. In the original context of that prophecy, it had to do with mothers in Israel lamenting in the depth deportation of their sons to Babylon, these mothers were personified as Rachel, the mother in the days of the patriarchs whose sons Joseph and Benjamin had been threatened with being no more carried away to Egypt in Genesis 42. Ramah was a town close to Jerusalem and associated with Rachel's tomb. The second prophecy fulfilled resulting from Herod's paranoid raid took place after Joseph took Mary and Jesus to Egypt. Upon their return, God's words to Hosea were fulfilled. The angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream, say, Herod is out to do this. You need to take, take your family to Egypt and I will take care of you. Isn't it amazing that that happens after God had already made provision because God sent the wise men from the east and brought gold and frankincense and myrrh and they had enough money to live on let me just interject something right here people say well how, how could I worship God with giving him a tithing I'd rather put myself in a position where God could send somebody from afar to meet my need work supernaturally in my life are you doing alright so when we believe God we live by God he'll do supernatural things in our life think about that Praise the Lord. And so then this begins to happen. And the prophecy was originally made as a statement of history. God had called and brought Israel out of Egypt. Guided by the Holy Spirit, Matthew used these words to refer 
to the Messiah. Thirdly, the final prophecy discussed by Matthew pertaining to the events in the early years of Jesus had to do with his boyhood home. God warned Joseph in a dream not to go back to Judea, so instead he took Mary and Jesus to Nazareth in Galilee. Matthew 22, verse 23, it's there in your outline. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, he shall be called a Nazarene. And you say, Pastor, why is this so important? You're giving us a lot of detail this morning. Yes, I am. Because it is important that your faith is rooted and grounded in truth. That Christmas is more than about your personal want list and shopping list and getting things. Christmas is about the Savior of the world has been born. And it was foretold that He was born. But what happened in His day, people got so caught up in their life and everything else. It's amazing that when you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, God gives the nation of Israel this warning. He says, be careful when you enter into the land of promise that I am giving to you. And you have your houses, and you have your field, and you have your vineyard, and you have your wealth, and you're living in the prosperity that I have promised you. Be careful that you don't forget me. And what happened? The people forgot God. Do you know the number one thing that people don't have much of today is time. Because life has placed so many demands on them. Their lives are so busy with so many self-perceived areas of importance and responsibilities. They have no time. Do you know the latest surveys have come out and the national average of church attendance is once every seven weeks? Well, Pastor, not at our church. We're a spirit-filled, Holy Ghost, Bible-believing word church. Yes, we are. But our national, our attendance kind of coincides with that. <gasps> okay, I'll move right along because I'm not talking about anybody that's here. You're here. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. But what happened? Life gets so busy. I get so caught up and I'm so blessed that, that we lose. And sadly enough, God is one of the first things that gets set aside in people's life. Because everything else is poor. And we think God will understand. Anyway, thank you for that Holy Ghost hush. So what happens here is that these things are happening. And so we see that even with Jesus being from Nazareth, this statement has caused confusion amongst Christians because Old Testament does not seem to make this specific prediction. Skeptics have jumped on this verse claiming that it is a contradiction in Scripture. How many know why people want to find a contradiction in Scripture? Anybody always want to know? Anybody know? Huh? Who disproves the Bible. Why do people want to disprove the Bible? So they don't have to what? Be accountable to it. Thank you. That's it. See, if I can find contradictions, and I, and I can just prove, well, it's not true. Look, it's not true. It's valid. Then I'm no longer accountable. I'm no longer under the authority of the Word. I don't have to answer that. So I can go in my own direction and, go and be my own authority. Are you with me? That's always looking for. But Dr. Rice Brooks had the best statement when it comes to contradiction. Never forget this. He said, I agree. He speaks on college campuses all over. He's the author of God's Not Dead. And you've heard me say it several times lately. But he just said, when people say there's too many contradictions in the Bible, he says, I fully agree. There are way too many contradictions in the Bible. It contradicts the way we live our lives. Yeah. Amen. And that's what we do. I don't want something that contradicts the way I live my life. I want to live the life. To, I want to set my own standard, set my own rules. I want to establish my own morality. Yeah. Amen. Amen. 
And so with that, and so people have fought over that. But when it comes to Nazareth, when you trace the root word back for the town of Nazareth, that word comes from the word Netzer, which means branch. And multiple prophets spoke of the Messiah as the branch. And those references are there in your outline. Nazareth was looked upon with scorn. Even Nathaniel, when his brother came to get him, said, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Amen. It's kind of like when... One person on radio always talked about Rio Linda, but we won't mention Rio Linda in this message, praise the Lord. Amen. Now watch this. And so several prophets revealed that the Messiah would be despised and rejected of men. Also notice that Matthew indicated that the prophets, plural, had spoken about this rather than simply indicating whether Jeremiah, Isaiah, or a specific prophet. So let me tie this in a knot with this. The unique Savior has come. And then let me say this. He's coming again. He's coming again. We are remembering His first advent. But the Scripture tells us there will be a second advent. Amen. And my little, I I got a kick out of Abraham who was our guide there in Jerusalem. I said, Abraham, what are you going to do when Jesus comes back? He said, I will ask Him, is this your first time here or your second? (laughs) Amen. (laughs) because <laughs> they know he's coming they're just not sure that he came and be, because why be, because my tradition and what i've been taught all my life doesn't allow me to hear the truth and, and so i wrestle with it, even though i want to and and this guy i'm telling you this guy was most amazing this was the most knowledgeable man about the bible that i have ever met He had been doing tours in Israel for over 30 years. He knew more about the Bible and history. He was one of the most amazing guys. But it was so cool because while we were there in Jerusalem, we just kept having the Holy Ghost. We were 34 pastors. And so the Holy Spirit, and not to make it special, but we'd just go, and everywhere we'd go, we'd start singing. We had a couple worship leaders with us, and we'd just start singing and stuff. And and then we'd we'd turn into this male choir. And, and the acoustics in those stone buildings is just awesome. And so we're in there, and we're, and, and, and we're in the upper room, which is actually the, where they believe the upper room was. You're actually built on top of 40 feet of rubble from where the original upper room was. So this is kind of where it would have been if it could have been. Amen, but you're supposed to be in proximity. So we're in there, and we're just praying. And we're just all, we're praying in the Holy Ghost. We're just worshiping God. We're singing in the Spirit and just doing all this stuff. And I mean, the Spirit of God just falls. Pastor Doug from Abundant Life is in there, and Doug's just going, Do it again, God! Do it again, God! Come on, Holy Spirit, do it again! And I mean, the presence of God is just thick in that place. And then, it's so exciting, then about 45 French gypsies Pentecostal, spirit-filled French gypsies come in behind us. We're worshiping God. And then right behind me, these ladies are going, la, 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 la. I'm going, yes, yes. And just God. And Abraham's walking around going, what is this? What is this? What is this? We're going, it's God is in this place. Amen. It was awesome. Amen. But he, he had several encounters like that. Praise the Lord. And Doug's chasing him with his hand. You need him now. <laughs> awesome so he came but he's coming again he's coming again. but what happened was is that over all those years do you know in the book of Psalms there's over 101 references to the coming of Christ in the book of Isaiah there's 124 
references to his coming. In the passage that Rudy and Valdi read, there are 10 references to the Messiah in just those few verses. In Malachi chapter 3 and 4, there are 10 references. In the last book of the Old Testament, there are 10 references to the Messiah and John the Baptist and the forerunner coming in preparation. But what happened was, is God had been silent for 400 years. And there was no prophetic voice. And people got caught up in life and nobody was expecting him because nobody was looking for him. And I'm telling you, we have to make sure that we don't get caught up in life and we quit to the place where we're no longer expecting His return. Think about it. While thinking about the circumstances surrounding Christ's birth, as Christians, we can rejoice and remember that the Messiah has come to earth and dealt with our sin. We can praise God for fulfilling His promises, and we can have complete confidence that He will always be faithful to do what He has declared. Come on, I do this. I went away from that encounter with, with, with Daniel there. Tell me about the, hill, the, the vineyards on Samaria. I go, God. Forgive me for having weak faith. You're keeping your word. After 2,600 years, your word came to life. These people are living it out in their generation. Wow. So think about that. Despite what many believe today, the religions and religious leaders of the world are not the same. Became popular when President Bush go to the mosque or this or that. Whatever your choice, it's all good. Everything is all the same. All paths do not lead to the same place. All choices do not get you into the presence of God. Many people in our culture promote the ridiculous claim that Jesus was just another religious leader, a good person who tried to make life better for others. But Jesus is unique in so many respects. He alone was a good person since he lived a sinless life. Nobody else but Jesus ever lived a sinless life. Every other religious leader has been sinful and needed a Savior. Read their resume of their history and you'll find they all needed to be saved and delivered from themselves. But Jesus did not need a Savior. He is the Savior. Could you say amen? See, there are no prophecies foretelling details about the birth of any other religious leaders. None. You can find none. None of the other leaders of any religion was ever foretold in coming. No prophecies alerted the world to the coming of Muhammad and Islam. No prophecies alerted us that Joseph Smith would find special glasses in the front yard under a picket fence and be able to read the books. No prophecy foretold of David Koresh who declared himself to be the Messiah in the Branch Davidians and created that massive destruction down in Waco, Texas. Charles Taze Russell, the founder of the Jehovah Witnesses, was not foretold. Siddhartha Gautama of Buddhism, just a guy that sat around, drank too much tea and had some squirrely ideas. Amen. Wrote them down, made nice things, and people said, I want to do that. I want to seek perfection. I want to find that and do all that. And it's so sad. Amen. And what is amazing, every other world religion is oppressive. Only Jesus came to set men free and give equality to all men, where there's neither slave nor, bond, slave nor free, male nor female, bond. No, it doesn't matter. Every man is equal on equal ground in Christ. Every other religion has an oppression to it. And is based on your works and your efforts. And no effort of man can get him into the presence of God.
But yet the Old Testament pinpointed numerous details about the life of the Son of God and Savior of the world. So the question is, what do we do? With, what do these prophecies tell us about Jesus? In just the first two chapters of Matthew, we saw that God foretold the virgin's conception of the Messiah who would be born in Bethlehem, yet in some way would come out of Egypt and be called a Nazarene. We also see that bitter agony would grip the mothers in that area. Many prophecies could be listed that were perfectly fulfilled in the life of Jesus. These were not lucky guesses made by fraudulent prognosticators. Hear me this morning. They were the precise prediction made by the all-knowing God of the Bible who repeatedly demonstrated that He has perfect knowledge of all past, present, and future events. And it is true. Jesus is coming again. We are celebrating His first coming, but there will be a second coming. Can you say amen? So watch this. Consequently, we can be completely confident that He will always make good on His promises. And that those future events He has foretold will certainly come to pass. So what's the conclusion this morning? 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to earth in a humble manner. The Savior of the world and God of all creation put on humanity to die for our sins, conquer death, giving the hope of salvation to all who turn from their sin and believe on Him. I love the word of the Lord this morning. God loves us. We couldn't do anything to receive it. He gave His Son to die for us. He's not judging us. He gave His Son so He could forgive us. Amen? Receive that. Think about it. One day, He will return in judgment. He will not appear as a seemingly helpless baby, but as a risen, glorified, sovereign Lord and judge. How many know Jesus will not be smitten again? You know, many times people wonder, how come Moses couldn't enter the promised land? Because if you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it tells us very explicitly that when they passed through the wilderness, that there was a rock that followed him. And they all drank of that same spiritual drink of the water that came from the rock. And when Moses, Jesus, as the living water represented and the rock and the foundation of our faith, that is who he is. He's the rock of our salvation. Amen? And, and, and in that, so he's there. And because of that, the, 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 God said, strike the rock and the water will flow out. So Moses struck the rock and the water came forth. The second time when the people were murmuring and complaining, God said to Moses, speak to the rock and water will come out. But Moses, because he allowed himself to be angered by the people, smote the rock. And Jesus will never be smitten twice for the transgressions of humanity. Now we speak. And life flows. Are you with me? So he's coming back. And honey, he is not coming back to be beaten again. He's coming back as triumph. Amen? Triumphant entry. So this will be his second advent, which has been foretold and will be missed, unfortunately, by many because they're not prepared and will not be looking for him to come or won't believe that he's coming because it has been such a long time. I wonder where Samaria would be right now and those people living there if they couldn't believe that God would fulfill His Word. 
Let me just interject this real quick. You know what they found when they planted the vineyards? They did a study there, and they found that the soil on the hills of Samaria was perfectly matched for growing grape. And not only was the soil perfectly matched, and it produces some of the sweetest grape, the highest sugar content in all of Israel on those hills, but they also found uh, geologically or, or meteorologically, whatever that is with weather, that there is a microclimate that's over the hills of Samaria in that area that is specifically conducive to growing grapes. Go figure, God would declare a word that they would grow grapes, and when they grow them, they'd be the grass grapes grown anywhere in the land. And he put the perfect soil and the perfect climate there to make it come to pass. Go figure that out. Amen? God declares that it comes to pass. So let me tell you today, what have you let go of because of time? I've been believing for a long time for this ailment to pass out of my body. I've been believing for a long time for this to come to pass. I've been believing for a long time. I had one of the first prayer requests on that wall. It's been a long time. It's going on three years. We've had that up on the wall. Man, when's God going to answer? It's been a long time since I've been believing God. See, there's things that need to happen. Never let the devil use time to talk you out of God's promise in your life. Never let that happen. Celebrating the birth of our Savior causes us to remember that God keeps and performs His Word. Stand with me this morning. And to not forget Him while we look forward to all things being fulfilled. Hear me today. God will keep His Word concerning you. He's still a saving God. He's still a healing God. He's still a delivering God. He's still the God who promised He would supply all of your needs. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus just said, hey, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Your Father knows that you need them even before you ask. So just believe God. Believe His Word. Maybe you're here today and you have had a hard time accepting Christ. Maybe you've been one of those that felt like you see contradictions. I want to believe, but I see these things that I don't understand. How do they line up? I hope today that somewhere in this message, truth has pierced into your heart and you could let go of your argument. Just say, you know what? I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that God came in flesh in the form of His Son so He could take my sin and take them from me and I could be free and all this guilt, this condemnation would be taken off my life and I could have a clear conscience before God and before men. I could be saved. Maybe you're here today and you just need to accept God's saving grace in your life. Maybe you're here today and you just need to believe once again that God is the healer that He is the deliverer and He is the provider. As they lead us in worship, if you need God in your life in any way, I'm just opening this altar up. We have prayer counselors here. We're going to pray for you. As they begin to sing, step out of where you are and move to this altar. Let's pray together. Let's believe God together. Come on. We're celebrating the Advent, the remembering that the Savior has come. His saving grace is here. His healing grace is here. He has already come. The Holy Spirit is here. God's presence is here. His promise is to be fulfilled. As they sing, you come and let us pray with you this morning. Come on. Step out. Make Jesus Lord of your life. Step out. Receive him as your healer. Step out Lord, in every I area. come into your holy place. I stand in love of your cleansing grace. Yes, who am I? 
Day by day, day by day. 